So last week, we finished the letter of 1 Timothy, and it was a couple months that, that we walked through that letter. It's a personal letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, but also it's a letter for the church because Timothy was a pastor at a local church, and Paul was simply giving instructions to Timothy on how to build a healthy church that is centered around the gospel. And so we said that really 1 Timothy is the blueprint for a gospel-centered church and, and so we end the series in a very powerful way. We looked at this last passage in 1 Timothy 6, where Paul gives this exhortation, this charge to young Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, remember, you are a man of God. And as a man of God, fight the good fight. Actively, aggressively, run away from worldliness and run to godliness. Live out your calling be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ and bring glory to God. So that was the big charge that was given to Timothy. And we said that if you are a Christian, you too are called man and woman of God. You too have this incredible mission that is given to you by God. God gives his people, his church, his authority to accomplish his mission for his glory. So in the same way that Paul was sending Timothy out as a pastor we see that God is sending us out and us as a church to accomplish his mission for his glory. That's the charge that God places on our lives. And I felt pretty good about that sermon. After the sermon, I was like, okay, that's a good way to end a series. Like our church is now on the same page. We talked about all the details, the nitty-gritty stuff that we need to iron out in a local church. And so for a couple hours, I felt good. And then, you know, the more and more you think about the sermon, you're like, oh, man, I wish I said this. I wish I didn't say that. And one thing that kept coming to my mind was this idea of, of, of God's presence. Because in 1 Timothy 6.13, when Paul is giving this charge to young Timothy, he doesn't just say, now that you have the owner's manual of how to build a church, now that you know how to be a pastor, and now that you have all these tools to do ministry, go and live for the glory of God. No, that's not what he does. It says in 1 Timothy 6.13, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. So the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy is not that, Timothy, you, you now go and do stuff on your own. You have all the information that you need, so figure things out on your own. No, that's not the call. The call is to go in the presence of God, to remember that life and all things, it comes from Christ Jesus. And so now that we have God's plan, especially for a local church, and hopefully you understand that plan through 1 Timothy, like we are so excited to live out that plan and be the gospel-centered church that we want to be. But what God reminds us is this, that God's plan is only accomplished through God's people through his presence. Like his presence is so central to everything that God is trying to do. And you see this in the Great Commission the Great Commission is all about going, right? God says to his disciples, hey, go, make disciples of all nations. I, I give you my authority in my name. You go and make disciples. But did you know that the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples was not go? It was actually to wait. If you go to Acts 1, instead of saying go, Jesus, after talking about the kingdom of God for 40 days, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, wait, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes. So that command to wait, 
it teaches us a very valuable, valuable uh, lesson. It teaches us that, that when we want to go and do things for the glory of God, we need the power of God. Like you can't do anything for the glory of God if you don't have the power of God. So Jesus says, hey, wait for the spirit of God because when, when he comes, he's going to make you into uh, my witness. Like the power is going to be upon you and you'll be my witness to the ends of the earth. But also an important lesson that we learn in Acts 1 is this. Before you can have access to the power of God, you need to be filled with the presence of God. Because in Acts 1, for the rest of the chapter, what's happening is the disciples are gathered in the space and they're praying. They're, they're longing for the Holy Spirit. They're longing for God's presence. They're, they're waiting and waiting for God to, 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 to fill them with power. And as they are being filled with God's presence, as they are waiting upon the Lord, in Acts chapter 2, finally, within the presence of God, you have the power of God descending on these people. The Holy Spirit empowers them so that they can be a witness. They are speaking different languages. They are sharing the gospel boldly. It all starts from the presence of God. And my biggest fear is this as a pastor, that I would have communicated the idea that we have God's full plan on how to live life and how to do church without emphasizing the importance of the presence of God because we can have God's plan, but without God's presence, there is no power. And without God's power... There's no way that we can execute God's perfect plan. So it all comes back to the presence of God. Jesus knew that even the most well-equipped disciples and the 11 disciples that were left, they spent three years spending time with the Lord. They learned from the Lord. They even cast out demons and, and heal people in the name of Jesus. They were ready to go. And yet Jesus knew that they weren't ready if they did not have the presence of God. The presence of God is where the power of God comes out of. The power of God is simply a byproduct of the presence of God. And the danger that we face, especially in Christianity today, is this, that so many people want the power of God in their marriage, so want the power of God in their relationships, they want the power of God in their school and in their workplace, they want the power of God in their families, and yet they're not seeking the presence of God. Like They, they want all that God has to offer and yet they want nothing to do with, with God. And that's why we see churches and Christians walk in, in a powerless way. Because we seek God's power, but we don't have his presence. So I just want to communicate three truths about God's presence. And so we're going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do here at Shining Star. Normally we would pick a passage and we would walk through that passage and not skip any, anything. But I'm going to skip around today, if that's okay, just for one Sunday. I'm going to actually cover the entire Bible. And so, and so just, uh, just know that uh, we're going to go really fast. So if you're writing stuff down, like you got to abbreviate or stuff like that. Uh, but it's going to be good because you're going to see that everything that we see in the Bible, every story is deeply connected with this idea of the presence of God. And so the first truth I want you to see is this. We are created for the presence of God. We are created for the presence of God. Just like fish were created to be in water, just like birds were created to be in the sky, our natural habitat as human beings is the presence of God. That's where we, we belong. That's where we experience the fullness of, of life. It all starts in Genesis 1 and 2 when God creates Adam and Eve and he places uh, Adam in this garden in Eden. And this garden is not just this, this wonderful garden. It's a place. It's a wonderful place because you have the presence of God there. 
you see in Genesis 3, it talks about how God was walking in this garden, in the midst of this garden. And so this garden is simply a symbol of a place where God's presence is, is overflowing. That's kind of the idea, the picture that you have in Genesis 1 and 2. So this garden in Eden is full of God's presence. And there's two interesting features in this garden. Number one, you have the tree of life. The tree of life. Genesis 2, 8 and 9, it says this, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I don't know how many of you actually know that in the middle of the garden there was the tree of life. A lot of times we just focus on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But notice in the midst of the garden, you had the tree of life, which was a symbol of God's presence. Like people have had access to that tree. Adam was told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but not once to say he can't eat from the tree of life. You know why? Because he had access to the tree of life. It's a symbol of God's presence. The second thing that we see is not only is there a tree of life, there's a tree, there's a river of life that's flowing into Eden and out of Eden. It says in verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. So there's this big space called Eden and Within that space, there is this garden where Adam and Eve, they're living. And this river is flowing into this garden. And there it was divided and became four rivers. So the picture is this. You have one stream of living water flowing into the garden. And out of that river, you have four different streams of water, so, rivers. So there is the presence of God flowing into this garden and also four streams of water flowing out from this garden. And so this, again, is a reminder that everything that you see in the garden, all the trees, the fruit, the vegetation that you see, life exists because there is this source that's coming from outside of the garden, that's hitting the garden, that's sustaining the garden, and out of the overflow of the life that exists, there's these four streams that are coming out of the garden. And that is the picture of the life that God wants you to have. He wants you to live in the overflow of His presence so that that presence can flow out of you to the nations. The tree, the river of life was a symbol of of life, purpose, satisfaction. It reminded you that life in God's presence is really, really good. The word Eden, by the way, means delight in Hebrew. So you and I were created to live in the fullness of God's presence. You and I were created to share the fullness of God's presence. And David, King David says this in Psalm 36. I think he summarizes this in a very beautiful way. In his song, it says this, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So in God's presence, there is refuge. But look at verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. So there's a river that brings delight. And that word delight, by the way, in Hebrew is Eden again. So the reality of Eden It's not just limited to a place. Wherever that you have God's presence, what the Bible is telling you is this. You can experience Eden. You can experience the garden. That you have a source of river of life that's flowing into and flowing out of you. Look at verse 9. It says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So there's an abundance of life and also there is light, there is clarity, there is purpose and meaning. Everything is, 
is crystal clear when you have God's presence. And this is why in, in Exodus 33, after the Israelites, they created this golden calf in the absence of Moses. You have God talking to the Israelites, and he says, well, I know you guys want to go into the promised land that's flowing with milk and honey, and you guys can go in, but there's one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go with you. You can have everything in the promised land, but there's one thing I'm not going to do because you're not willing to honor me because you created this golden calf saying that, that this is a God that saved us from, from Egypt. I'm not going to go with you. And, and the moment that they hear that in Exodus 33, the Israelites, they're devastated. Their hearts are broken. They don't want to go in. You know why? Because it's not because that land was poor. That land was rich. It was flowing with milk and honey and all the good stuff. Like later on, you see that the fruits there are like this big. Like it, it was a wonderful place, but the Israelites say that without your presence, it's meaningless. Like all that's good stuff. I mean, what use is it if we don't have your presence? And this is where Moses prays this incredible prayer in Exodus 33, verse 15. It says, and he said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Like for he, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that you are distinct, I and your people, for every other people on the face of the earth? Notice what, what Moses is saying. He's saying that not only do I need your presence to go into this place, he's saying that there is nothing unique about me if I don't have your presence. What makes a Christian distinct and unique is not how many years you attended church. It's not how much Bible knowledge you have. It's not what kind of sticker you place on, put, put on your, your, your bumper. It's not that you, you have a cross necklace on your neck. What makes you distinct as a Christian, a unique Christian, is the presence of God. What Moses said, if we don't have your presence, we are no different from any other nation. And so the presence of God is so central because it is through the presence of God that we actually live life. Everything flows out of the presence of God. But here's the second truth, that we are created for the presence of God. But the second truth is this. Sin separates us from the presence of God. Sin separates us from the presence of God. Although Adam and Eve, they were living in, in God's presence. They were enjoying life. They, they fell into a trap. They, they believed a lie that every single one of us, without exception, believes it's this lie that we think there is a better life outside of God's presence. Somehow we think that life outside of God's presence is not that bad. You know, remember what the serpent said to Eve after saying that, hey, you're not going to die if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, in the matter of fact, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and you will know what is good and what is evil. In other words, the serpent was saying to Eve, you don't need God. You can live life on your own. You don't have to have God's presence to know what's good and it's, what's evil. You can, you can live life independently away from God. And Adam and Eve, they buy, they buy into this lie. They believe in this lie. And as a result, they sin before the Lord. But, but what happens next? One of the saddest things um, is that even before God makes a move, it says in Genesis 3:8, one of the saddest moments in Scripture, it says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So God's presence is right there. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
before God said anything, because before he did anything, like he's simply just doing what he normally does. Like his presence is there. And the man and the woman, out of shame, out of guilt, because of their sin, they run away from God. They hide from God. They say, we want nothing to do with God's presence. And that's what sin does. It separates us from God's holy presence, from God's good presence. And ultimately what happens in Genesis 3 is that Adam and Eve, they are removed from God's presence because they're removed from the garden. And so sin separates us from God. Although we were created for the presence of God, the reason why we are struggling today to experience the fullness of God's presence is because sin separates us from the presence of God. But here's the good news. When Adam and Eve were busy running away, hiding, covering themselves. You know what God did? God approached Adam and Eve and started a conversation when he didn't have to. Although he was sending Adam and Eve out, he was the one who created this, this clothing for them because their clothing, clothing, were, what they tried to do and cover themselves up, that was insufficient. And on and on again, really the rest of the Old Testament is this story about God pursuing people so that they can live in his presence. That's, that's the heart of God. Like, although people don't want his presence, God is pursuing people so that he's inviting people back to his presence. And, and you see this all throughout scripture. In Leviticus 26, 12, you have the giving of the law. And after that, God says, Israel, if you live according to my commands, I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. That wording, walk among you, is the same language that God has used back in the garden. He's willing to walk among his people just like he walked in the garden if we live in obedience. I mean, just think about the tabernacle, the temple. How many, how many times God emphasizes the importance of, of, of the tabernacle? He spends so many chapters on the tabernacle and temple. Why do we have to know every detail about this temple, this tent? It's just a tent, right? Like, he spends about half of Exodus and that's like the hardest section when you're doing a Bible reading plan. But why does he do that? It's because he's talking about the importance of God's presence because that's not just a tent. It's a sign that God's willing to dwell among his people. And every element in the tabernacle can be pointed back to these different features in the Garden of Eden. That's a sermon for another day. But again, you see that God is pursuing his people so that they can experience the presence of God and so that he can extend his presence through his people. But time and time again, you see Israel, they are rebellious. They reject God's invitation to his presence. Instead of living in God's holy presence, they say, no, we would rather serve other gods and live in different ways. And so what happens towards the end of the Old Testament? Israel is now exiled. They are no longer living in the promised land that was given to them by God as a place where they can enjoy God's presence. They are now exiled. The temple is destroyed. There is no hope. Like everything that they, they, they were holding on to, like all these symbols and signs that pointed them to the fact that God was with them was no longer there. And you have 400 years of silence, darkness, confusion. And now you come to the New Testament and it's a whole new story. Why? Because Jesus appears. What did Jesus come to do? He came to invite us into the presence of God. He is the ultimate invitation given to us by God to his presence. So the third point I want to make is this. Jesus invites us into God's presence. So we are created for God's presence. Sin separates us from his presence. At the same time, God extends his grace and gives us Jesus, and Jesus invites us into God's presence. You see this in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word speaking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. And it says in verse 4, in him, Jesus, was life 
and the life was the light of man. So you see, life is in Jesus and light is in Jesus. Those are some of the words that we saw in, in Psalm 37, right? Like in God's presence, there is life and light. And the reason why there is light and life in Jesus is because Jesus is full of God's presence. Like it says in Colossians 1, the fullness of God was pleasing to dwell in Jesus. And it gets even better because not only is the presence of God dwelling in Jesus, but in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus brings his presence into a dark world. And not only that, but you have the presence of God living among dark, sinful people. And that word dwelt is the Greek word that is used when you're talking about the tabernacle. Literally, the translation is that God tabernacled among us so that we can experience his presence. Have you ever wondered why cleaning up the temple was such a big deal for Jesus? Have you ever wondered why the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, talk about the descending of the Holy Spirit on Jesus it's to give us a picture that Jesus operated under the power of God's presence and his ultimate goal was to restore the presence of God among God's people. And you come to John 4, this beautiful passage where Jesus meets this woman at the well. She's been divorced five times. Like, she's trying to avoid all contact, doesn't want a conversation, and Jesus approaches her. She's a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jewish person, and yet Jesus approaches her, and she's looking for something, and this is what Jesus says. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him spring of water welling up to eternal life. Does that sound familiar? Do you think you saw that picture before in the Garden of Eden where there's a, a, a stream of water going into the garden and, and different streams coming out of the garden? The same picture is given to us in John chapter 4, but this time it's not within a place. It's now in a person. What Jesus says is this. If you believe in me within you, now Eden is established. What happens is you have this spring of water that's not just going to fill you. It's going to flow out of you. Again, the presence of God is God's ultimate goal for his, his people. And you see that just looking at how the story ends in the Bible. And we're going to jump to Revelation towards the end. It says in Revelation 21, verse 1 through 3, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her, her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So the picture of heaven that you receive is this. Everywhere you go, you have God's presence. That's what he's saying. That you're dwelling with God's presence. Heaven is this uninterrupted place that has God's presence presence no there's so many people who want to go to heaven but they don't want to come to church but you have to kind of rethink what you view about heaven because what heaven is going to be it's going to be like this gigantic revival this gigantic retreat where you're constantly living in god's presence with god's people praising god experiencing his favor and you kind of see that this is a beautiful picture although right now we are getting a glimpse of how awesome it could be for us to dwell in God's presence in heaven, you, you, you're not going to have any question marks anymore. 
It's going to be the full presence of God. In Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2, it says this, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Oh, I think I saw that before. Bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So there's this river that's flowing in the middle of the streets of heaven. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with the 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So God's ultimate goal is to restore Eden, is to restore what was lost in Eden, which is his presence. It is the presence of God that, that drives us to the conclusion of God's story. Everything flows out of God's presence. Power flows out of God's presence. Joy flows out of God's presence. We find purpose and meeting in God's presence. This is why I think King David said in Psalm 70, 27 verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. King David, he says, I don't, I don't need all, all, all the wealth, all the women, all the stuff that this world has to offer. Ask one thing that I, I, I ask for and I will seek. It's not just a big kingdom. It's not just nice stuff. It's the presence of God that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know why he prays that prayer? It's because out of the presence of God, you get everything of God. Like out of his presence, it flows out all the, all the goodness of God, all his mercy, his grace. It all comes out from his presence. So it all begins with God's presence. And as Christians, how much are we thinking of God's presence? That's the question that I want to ask today. How many of us are waiting on God for answers, for help, for power, and yet we are neglecting the opportunity that we have to enjoy God's presence? If we're living that way, then we are being mistaken, thinking that we can have access to all the things of God without his presence. And, and the good thing is this. Jesus, in John 7, verse 33 and 37, he gives this incredible invitation to everyone. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In public. And Jesus is more of a private guy. Like he's, he's kind of a toned down dude. But he says this in public for everyone to hear on, the, on this great festival. He stands up with a loud voice. He says, whoever, anyone who thirsts, come. Are you tired of living a life that is so dry that you don't know what your purpose is in this earth? Like, and and you, you feel like you're lost. And every single day, it's a struggle to kind of just go through the day. You know, the invitation that Jesus is giving to you and to me today is this. No matter where you are, if you have Jesus, there's this invitation where you, when you believe out of, out of his heart, out of the heart of Jesus will flow rivers of living water. Not only is God going to fill you with his presence, that his presence is going to flow out of you and it's going to reach the nations. And this is an incredible picture that we have. And so God is inviting us to live as individuals in his presence and to be a church that's, that's full of God's presence and and I think there's just three things that are really holding us back from experiencing the fullness of God's presence and the fullness of life. Number one is this. There's a group of people who believe that I need to do enough to earn God's favor and earn his presence. Um, these, are, these are people that are like Mary, um, Martha. You know that story in Mary and Martha in, in Luke. Um, you have Jesus going to the house of these, these sisters and 
and Mary is busy cooking. She's preparing a five-course meal for Jesus. She's thinking, man, the greatest teacher in Israel is coming to my house. I got to prepare all these stuff. And as she's preparing and Jesus comes, she sees Mary, her sister, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets so upset. Like, and, and she goes to Jesus and tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to help me out. Like, I'm, I'm preparing all this food for you, and Mary's doing nothing. And Jesus says, hey, hey, Martha, 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 do you not know that although you're doing a good thing, like what Mary is doing is so much better? Because I'm not here just to have a meal from you. I'm not just here for your service. I'm just actually here to spend time with you. I'm here so that you can experience the fullness of God's presence. How many of us actually operate like Martha? Uh, we think that we're so, we need to do all these things for God, that we feel like God saved us so that he can simply put us to work. Do all these things, give all our resources to God. No, that's not the heart of Jesus at all. What Jesus says is this, I came to spend time with you. And out of the overflow of my presence, you go out and do things for the glory of God. But it's not like God is waiting in heaven and grading you based on how much you are doing in your Christian life, based on how many days you missed in your Bible reading plan, how many hours you're spending. If that's your source of confidence, you are deeply mistaken because God's presence is given to us through the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Number two is this. There's a group of people who believe that, that I'm not good enough for God's presence. And these are the people who are like Adam and Eve, who initially how they ran away in guilt and shame. And they say like, God can ne never love a person like me. Like everyone hates me. No one loves me. And so, so you're constantly being, being covered with shame and, and you feel like you don't have a place even in God's presence. You don't feel comfortable in this world. You don't even feel comfortable in God's presence. But here's the thing. God, when, he's, when, when he invites you, when he pursues you, it's not because you are that great. It's not because you are that worthy of his presence. You know, they say that if you want to have a healthy relationship, you need to have healthy expectations for one another. Because if you have high expectations for your spouse and, and that person does not meet that expectations, they're constantly going to fight, right? And you, this happens in any relationship, even in friendship that happens. Like expectations is what leads you to, to fight with one another. The good thing about God is this. When he, when he pursues you, like when he's calling you and inviting you to his presence, he doesn't have a lot of expectations, <laughs> Uh, his expectation is not that high. And so because of that, because he didn't have much expectation to begin it, he's really doing it out of a gracious heart, out of a loving heart, because he is just incredibly loving. He's, he just wants to extend this incredible gift of salvation to you. Because of that, you, would, you, you have to understand, you were never good enough to be saved by Jesus in the first place. It was all about God. And so never think that you're not worthy to be saved. God extends this incredible gift of salvation and extension to his presence to, to everyone, anyone, Jesus says, come. The last group is this, and this is the group that I'm really praying for is there are people who are like the prodigal son who wants the stuff of God, but they don't want the presence of God. The prodigal son went up to, to his father one day and said, no, I want to go far, far away. I, I hate you, dad. Like, I don't want to live with you. But at the same time, can you pay my bills? Like, can you give me uh, my inheritance in advance? And that, that will help me to, to get a good, fresh start. And, and you have this in Luke 15. And, and what the prodigal son was simply saying is this. I don't want the presence of the Father, but I want the stuff of the Father. And many 
people who are coming to church today are wanting stuff from God, but not wanting God himself. And that is a deep mistake that we're making because there is no power and no favor of God outside of the presence of God. So Jesus is inviting us today. I don't know what kind of obstacle is in your way, what's blocking you from entering into the presence of God and enjoying the presence of God, but he's inviting you today to experience the fullness of life. And so these next coming weeks, I know you might have a lot of questions still about God's presence. Um, I'm excited to walk through a couple passages these next coming weeks to just think about the presence of God and especially the Holy Spirit who's often the one that's easily forgotten. And so that's kind of our game plan, and then we'll jump into like a larger series. But till then, let's remember that everything that we do, it flows out of the presence of God. Amen? Let's pray.